This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Episode 9. On BitcoinAverage.com, a millibitcoin is trading at $0.45, cents, or $450 per Bitcoin. We're definitely riding the Bitcoin roller coaster this week. Mm-mm-mm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoins. And share what we learn with you, the listener. Welcome to the show and thanks for listening. On today's show, we visit sunny Los Angeles for a chat with Laura Saggers, writer of the hit single 10,000 Bitcoins. We talk with Laura about the essence of love and the true meaning of wealth. She sings praises for the positive support received as an artist in the Bitcoin community and tells us about her experiences in writing a Bitcoin song and reaching out to her fans. And right after the interview, we'll be cranking up the old Bitcoins and Gravy record player again to play you Laura's new single. We also invite a couple of guests into the studio right here in not-so-sunny-yet-East Nashville. We have a lively conversation with Benjamin Wilson, a software developer out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and co-host of the blog altcoinfever.com. Ben brings his friend Kelly Koppel, an award-winning designer and the founder of the Nashville design firm K2Forma, Inc. Kelly graciously joins in the conversation to share an outsider's view of Bitcoin. And finally, we head up north to the province of New Brunswick in eastern Canada for more sunshine of a different sort. We talk with Jolie Belaz, who tells us about SolarCoin, a unique and potentially earth-changing altcoin, and how it's being used to fund a scholarship for high school students. Jolie shares with us her insight into cultivating a sustainable future for the Earth by incentivizing the solar industry and the use of solar energy. So stay right here for more from Bitcoins and Gravy. And remember to call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline with your comments or questions at 615-208-5198 or simply click on the hotline link from your mobile phone when you visit bitcoinsandgravy.com. Or you can email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. We're very excited to have a guest with us Skyping in from Los Angeles, California. On today's show, we have Laura Saggers, writer of the hit single 10,000 Bitcoins. Welcome, Laura. Hello. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you are in sunny Los Angeles. It's still a little bit icy and chilly here in East Nashville, Tennessee, but it's starting to warm up. Starting. To Spring is on the way. Yeah, I woke up and looked outside and realized that not another day of sunshine. No complaints here. So, Laura, I can clearly tell by your voice that you have a lovely accent. Can you tell us where you're from? Um, the accent's British, um, and I'm. Uh, I used to live just outside London, about forty minutes southwest of London in a place called Guildford. Beautiful. And then uh, I think I was reading on your site that you had moved there to go to college to study music. Is that correct? Yeah. So my dad lives about another 20 minutes further north of that. So I, I went to Guildford because there's a music academy there, a contemporary music academy. Went there to do a diploma in vocals and then mm. continue to do my business degree in music. Nice. That's smart. And then uh, how long have you been in Los Angeles? This is going to be my fifth summer coming up. Oh, I like that. A fifth measured by summers. Nice. I didn't I know. even know Los Angeles had summers. <laughs> my fifth year of joy. <laughs> my fifth endless summer. So do you like LA? I do. I won't lie. It was really hard to adapt. Um, I love America. I, I'm trying hmm. really hard not to judge my whole opinion on America based on LA because I feel that that would be unjust. <laughs> yeah, LA's been, for work-wise and opportunity-wise, there's so much. So I have no complaint on LA for that. Yeah, and work for you is a lot more than just music. Is that correct? Um, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a teacher of, uh, piano and music and that's like what I do for my main job. Okay. Okay. So, I, I guess I was referring to, I saw that you were doing some acting and modeling and that sort of thing as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, there's that too. Um, that comes and goes. That's not really like a full-time gig. I'd love it to be, but I'm more interested in the music side. That seems to have been where my journey's taken me, so I'm trying to ride that wave. But I think from what I've heard, that's L.A., right? You know, if you want to find someone to act in your movie, how do you find this? Like, excuse me, waiter. That, that You know, Nashville has a joke like that. You want to find a good drummer for your band. Excuse me, waiter. Oh, really? Something like that, yeah. I don't know. I've always heard that everyone in Los Angeles wants to be in the film industry. I, I don't think I've met a single waiter that isn't a, an actor on the side. And, oh, my gosh, have you seen my reel? I was like, okay. <laughs> I wait to a first job I got when I came out from England. The only thing I could get was a waitressing job, and which was amazing. But it put me in the realm of all the people who had, I'd never met any actors before. I'd always just heard about them. And in England, they're very few and far between, or they're all in one particular area. Out here, it's almost everyone, whatever they are, taxi driver, or they're like doing taxes, or they're a swimming coach. They'll also be like, oh, and I also have headshots and I'm an actor. And it's, uh, okay. <laughs> well, so do you feel like a minority as a musician in Los Angeles, or do you feel like there are plenty of musicians as well? I don't know what it's compared to like Nashville. I imagine there's probably less than Nashville, but I've met tons. That's my industry. So I really can't compare it to anything else because I just keep running into musicians all the time but they're really good quality I've been amazed like just even practice sessions and what's expected of you out when I had in England we'd practice the same 30 minute set for weeks on end and it still wouldn't be right out here you don't even get a practice session you're expected to know it and then just play it live on stage and nail it and I'm like oh my mm. gosh <laughs> <laughs> wow. well that does sound like Nashville a little bit you know yeah but that's good it means the standards just raised really really high I think yeah. it's Awesome. Well, so tell us about your music and tell us about your single, 10,000 Bitcoins. Oh, yeah. Um, so I had this idea to write a song before Christmas because I've got my album that I've been working on since I came out here, um, which is the initial point of coming out here, um, to release it in the summer. And then I have been in the Bitcoin community for about eight months now. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write a song because... That would be really cool. And then someone sent me the link of John's song. I was like, oh, cool. Someone did it as well. That's brilliant. That means it's actually people I might actually want a song about Bitcoin. That's great. We don't quite yet have a community of 10,000 Bitcoin songwriters yet, do we? But we're headed there. We're headed there. It's a tight-knit group right now. So how did you first get into Bitcoin? Um, I had some friends that were into it. Um, I was talking to them. I was um, looking for somewhere to invest just a, a few, like I've got a little tiny savings. I was like, well, I'm either going to put it in a bank account and just let it sit there and literally do nothing for my life, or I could put it into stocks, though that seemed a little bit normal and mundane, but it didn't really, it didn't excite me. And I had so little money to start with. And he was like, I want to do something with it that's interesting. And then someone um, suggested I got into Bitcoin and I started researching about it and was taught how to trade and then continued my research. And then I just really love it and think it's a really good idea. Nice. You said you've been into Bitcoin for eight months. That's about um, more than twice as long as I myself have. <laughs> we only just discovered it recently. But uh, it's true, Bitcoin is so new, to be in it for eight months it feels a bit of a veteran. Oh, yeah, well, I've been into, I've been into Bitcoin for years, uh, <laughs> two years, that, exactly. <laughs> um, and then uh, you've also gotten some attention, uh, Wall Street Journal, Paul Vigna. Oh, yeah. Who we've spoken with, did a great write-up on your song as well. In fact, Paul was the one that introduced us to you. No, no, and I'm so grateful. I mean, oh, yeah. this whole, the Bitcoin community has just been such an amazing community to show appreciation and I just, I don't know. It's just, it's been a, a massive ride. I didn't believe it when I put the song out, the amount of support I've had within the Bitcoin community. Everyone's been amazing. I've got random people I've never, ever heard of writing me massive emails about what I should do, where I should send their song, how they can help. Can they put it on Reddit? And I'm like, uh, who are you? You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess I'm just not used to that. So it's been really eye-opening. It's a very, very kind community. I think that you're probably getting more attention than I am, but you know, you're a lot prettier than I am. So I don't know oh, what else please. to say. Oh, please. I do not have your voice. <laughs> well, you've got a beautiful voice. It's not, yeah, but yours it's, is deep and dark and masculine. So. Well, yeah, but that's because I'm a man and you're, and you're a woman. So people love that female voice. And people love your song, too, obviously, from all of the hits you get. So let's talk about the song a little bit. Is that you playing piano on the song? Yes, it is. Oh, nice. I um I compose my, all my songs on piano first. That's my go-to instrument. And then I've got a songwriting buddy that does really good at guitar, and so I'll let him put down some guitar if he feels like it. But this particular song, just I really liked it. It was really plinky-plonky, and it, 
I just seemed to be quite catchy. I was like, I'm going to put this out there and just see what happens. And and people seem to like it. I was like, really? Okay, cool. And speaking of pianos and guitars, that also is another specialty of yours is putting those together. And I saw that you're using the kitar, the Roland kitar. Is that one of your main instruments of choice for performing? My baby. Um, I'm trying really hard to try and work out a solo set where I'm using just the kitar. And um, I've been hired a lot in bands coming out here for the guitar, which was to a surprise. I've been super classically trained on piano and, and just presumed coming over here that that's what I would be hired for. I come out and no one wants to hire a classical pianist. And everyone needs someone who's into pop and rock, which I'd never even heard of chords before. I'd literally just done nothing but read music all my life. So having to come out here, I had to suddenly learn chords. And then I was introduced to the Nashville with all the way you guys do your number system. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Mind blown. Well, can you explain to our listeners what a kitar is? No, no, explain to me what a kitar is. <laughs> a kitar basically comes from the 80s, and it's a handheld keyboard. It's, and the one I have is Roland Lucina, and I got endorsed by them when I first came out here because I auditioned for Gretchen Bonaducci, who's Danny Bonaducci's ex-wife, her 80s band that she was trying to put together, and they wanted a keyboard player, and I decided that a kitar would be way more badass. So That's great. Yeah, I play that and I can't believe I'm now playing that after all these years of being stuck on a grand piano and I have something that's completely diverse. I love it. It's amazing. Well, now, if you were to put a Bitcoin tipping address on the lid of a grand piano, the audience wouldn't see it. But if you put it on your guitar, they might be able to see it clearly. That is genius. That is genius, Lidge. (laughs) (laughs) That's genius. I'm so going to do that. I've got a show (laughs) this weekend in Fresno. Not that I think the particular audience are going to even have heard of Bitcoin. It's a private gig, but um, I'm going to do it anyway. That's a really good idea. So back to your song for a second. There are two aspects to your song. One is the music of course, and one is the video. So can you tell us a little bit about the video? I love the video as much as I love the song. Well, actually, I think the video was got me way more excited than the actual song because the whole point of the song was do a little quirky ditty, but I also wanted to somehow cross over into the general public so that people who had never heard of Bitcoin, and there's a huge amount of them, it's just beginning to become mainstream. Mm -hmm. And more people I speak to, they've at least heard of the phrase now as opposed to they still don't know what it is, but that's fine. At least (laughs) they're hearing about it. Music's a really, really good way of crossing over those boundaries. And so I wanted to make something really, really fun so the people who didn't understand what Bitcoin are about still can see it. At least they're absorbing the aspect of it. And it was a lot of fun to do because I got to try out all my dress-up skills, which was amazing for me. (laughs) Yeah, it was wonderful in the video. It's got a very playful energy to it. Oh, yeah. And it made me wonder if you have a background in theater. Um. Again, with the acting, I'd love to do something like that. I haven't I haven't pursued it coming out here just because, um, again, with all the actor friends I met, they have, they have to spend their entire day making it free so that if they have an audition, they can drop everything to go and do that. And um, in order to make money and survive, that's not really my cup of tea. I don't really fancy that lifestyle. So I figured that music's really important to get into first. And if anything came down the line with acting, then I'd open arms and welcome it, but it's not really something I'm going to spend my whole day pursuing. Right. That's, that sounds smart. Well, so now with the success of, of 10,000 Bitcoins, what have you seen coming down the Bitcoin pipeline? Have you been able to uh, put up tipping addresses or actually generate any musical income from that? A little bit of success. And um, I wasn't expecting to get anyone to actually buy it with Bitcoin. Well, not, not that many. Um, I didn't honestly think anyone would hear the song. I just thought I was going to put it out and you know, my, my usual 200 followers and my dad would be like, yeah, that's great. But um, now I've got like nearly 6,000 people on the video and it's kind of shocking. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's so validating as a musician to have people say they really like your work. Um, That's so wonderful. I'm really stoked. But uh, yeah, I've got it up for sale on my website, laurasagas.com. Um, it's downloadable for Bitcoin. And then uh, now it's up on iTunes. So I did the first two weeks for exclusively for downloadable for Bitcoin. And then after that, I did it for iTunes for everyone else. One final question here when it comes to your song, 10,000 Bitcoins. Can you tell us in just a nutshell, what's the song about? Because I think it has an important message. Um, songs, I mean... It's, starts off by saying what I do with all this money and you know you have a loved one and you take them on it actually takes says that they I take them on all these things that we can do which you can actually buy with bitcoin so I try to make it as real as possible um but the the real story behind it is um well the I guess the moral of it is that it doesn't really matter how much money you've got you've 
it's having someone important in your life and someone that you can share all of your hopes and dreams with, so to speak. And that's worth way more than any form of currency out there. Nice. Agreed. Beautiful. <laughs> that's well great. Said. Well said. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on Bitcoins and Gravy. It's been wonderful thank speaking you. with you. And uh, I, please, I hope that everyone goes and watches the video on my YouTube, which is forward slash Laura Saggers and then come visit me on my website because I, I talk to every single person that messages me and my phone has been nothing but beeping which I'm not complaining I love it but mm-hmm. I'm like oh gosh cool another person to reply to so That's I do great. very much enjoy talking to the fans and what's your website it's, again it's laurasaggers.com all right well cheers Laura thank you so much we'll be looking for you on YouTube and on iTunes and at laurasaggers.com and it's been a pleasure thank you guys thanks Laura bye-bye bye Bitcoins, do you know what I would buy? Get you that car you wanted, yeah, the one with a rear wheel drive. You could teach me how to drift, I'd be so cool, no lie. And I'll sit there by your side as you is up the freeway close to 155. If I had 10,000 Bitcoins, I would take us on a tour of all your favorite breweries up and down the coast and more. And we'll sample all your favorite beer and sit out in the sun and slowly getting drunk all day. It's you and me. We're always having fun. Having lots of money that won't make you happy if you're super duper rich but all alone. It's having Bitcoin, I would pay for you to fly So you could get your license to soar up into the sky On a private plane so we could disappear at any time We'll take a trip to Catalina Island or even to Hawaii Having lots of money that won't make you happy If you're super duper rich but all alone It's having someone to Cause I'm the richest girl in love alive Money, money, I like money It's fun when we've got some money BTC, EMT, Cox I'll keep on trading and I'll never stop Wow, until you tell me to Cause I wouldn't know what to do if So we are very excited to have with us here today, Benjamin Wilson and Kelly Keppel. Benjamin is here with altcoinfever.com That's from right. Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to have you here. Tell us who you are and about yourselves and where you come from and all that. Right. So my name is Ben Wilson and Megan Riley is a really close friend of mine. And we decided, well, she decided, she called me up one morning and said, you know, we've been spending so much time and energy researching what we're doing with Bitcoin and all this trading stuff. And Let's document this stuff and share our thoughts. So I own a software development company. It's pretty easy to throw together a WordPress website. So we went ahead and did that. So Megan spends a lot of the time, uh, her time studying new coins that come out, PR, marketing, research about uh, concepts that are coming out and what's going on in the industry. I'm more of a technical person. I like to read about the specifics about a coin. 
I've read Satoshi's paper several times. I like the nitty gritty about it. We kicked in some money and built out a miner, just like the miner, John, that uh, you described recently. Yeah, the one I just sold. The one you just sold. So we still run ours. Uh, Megan's named it the HB3000. And uh, so the HB3000 is churning away doggy coins right now, I think, or Aurora coins. Who knows which one's more valuable as we speak. No, I thought it was Dogecoin. Dogecoin. You're right. Thanks for correcting me there. Kelly, tell us about yourself. How are you involved in Bitcoin and and how are you here? Or wait, Kelly, tell us how you are not involved in Bitcoin. (laughs) Or tell us how you are not involved. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, I'm not involved at all. I'm a complete outsider. So I know just a little bit from listening to Ben talk about it a lot. <laughs> and you're, uh, but you're local here, right? You're yes. from Nashville. Yeah, yeah. I live in Nashville. And uh, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know much about Bitcoin. I've read a little bit in the news. I've heard, you know, friends talk about it. And so I'm just kind of very at the very beginning stages of awareness, frankly, and starting to understand it as a currency and as a market. And what's your opinion overall? Boy, I don't know if I've <laughs> completely firmed that up yet. I think that uh, I'm a wait and see kind of person yeah. more so than a, a an early adopter. So I think that some of my reservations are just around the fact that it's not, um, you know, regulated, and um, it's just it's a, more of a curiosity for me at this point. Um, I think my hangup is that it's immaterial, and it reminds me of like the music industry where you know there was a time where I bought CDs, I bought records, and then it starts moving towards streaming. And now this this idea that we don't own music necessarily, we own a subscription to Spotify, and that gives you all the music you need. And this whole idea of like the, the car sharing, you know, you don't, it's getting to the point where you wouldn't necessarily buy a car in the future. You mm. might just own a subscription to a car sharing service. And so yeah. I think that's, for me, the weird thing about Bitcoin is I haven't quite gotten over the hump of not having that material thing that is part of the exchange. But I think to your point, it you know, it's like anything else. It's going to be um, something that we just assimilate to and I, suddenly I say, it's like streaming. I say this a lot. It forces you to rethink uh, about money. It forces right. you to rethink money. Well, so um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about things you've spoken about on altcoin fever. Um, you know, one of the ways that people think that they're going to get Bitcoin to the masses and get into mass adoption is through ATMs. What, what can you tell us about that? We're going home on it. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Megan and I have been actively discussing and doing research on bringing an ATM to Charlotte. I think that the RoboCoin product is the most superior one of the offerings that we mm-hmm. have available right now. Is that the same one that we saw unveiled in, yeah. in Austin? It is, yeah. They have the RoboCoin unveiled in Austin at the Texas Bitcoin mm-hmm. Conference, and I think they keep it downtown Austin at a gun shop, right? right? And uh, my only problem with that ATM is, so you go up there and you have to do like a, a hand scan, an yeah. eye scan, a hair sample, a skin shaving. I think and, it took one of my toenails and I wasn't even trying right. to get Bitcoin out of the machine. It took a toenail. It actually took one of my retinas out of my eyeball. I mean, this was, and I thought, oh, then you have to give your social security number, your passport, and you had to give all of this information. I don't like the fact that you want to go and exchange money for Bitcoin, US dollars for Bitcoin, or Bitcoin for US dollars, and you have to give all of this information. Why do I have to give all of this information? When I go and I pay somebody, let's say, $20 to cut my lawn, you know, I'm not sending them a 1099 at the end of the year. And how many people really are? I mean, the underground economy, I think, is important. I think it's huge. And I think that it's always going to exist. So why can't we have something akin to that with the Bitcoin community and with ATMs? Okay, okay. So you've, you've explained what you don't like about the ATM <laughs> for Bitcoin. Tell us, Ben, what we can hope to like about the can Bitcoin Can I touch ATM? back on i got to address <laughs> yeah, some of this stuff. Ahead, I can't let it go. Got, as a libertarian, I agree with you. But there are the Walter Whites out there. Wait, who's Walter White? There are there are guys with loads of money that you know have come into it, whether legally or not, that are going to try to launder money. And you know these are processes that hurt us all. And so you know I agree that there need to be some steps or regulations to prevent or slow down or create barriers to prevent the Walter Whites from converting their billions and hiding it in Bitcoin. Yes. So, you know, you've got functionality on that RoboCoin that's been you know, the, the, the palm scan, the iris scan, you got to give a stem cell. So you, you have functionality on that RoboCoin, which works with regulations or more regulations than some of the other devices that are for sale. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. You know, am I absolutely in love with all those ideas, all those features? 
eh, probably not. But, you know, I kind of agree with what some of the good guys in our government are trying to do. I agree with that. But you know what? You talk about money laundering. So I go to the robo Bitcoin ATM and I have $300 and I put it in there and I get $300 worth of Bitcoins printed out or whatever on my phone or wherever it goes. Okay, what's the big deal? Is anybody that's concerned with money laundering really concerned that my $300 has something to do with money laundering when you have HBSC mm-hmm. and Wachovia money laundering millions and billions of dollars, right, that's going to Mexican drug cartels? Are the regulators really that concerned about the people? I say that they're not really that concerned about the people. I say they're more concerned with keeping Bitcoin down because Bitcoin kind of disrupts the status quo. Keeping the Bitcoin down. Yeah, I don't disagree with it too much. I think there's always going to be a conduit. There's always going to be a network for getting around something. Obviously, the network you've just described is one way to do it. With Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin solves some problems that uh, we have with cash, with fiat currencies. It opens up. There's still some doors available with Bitcoin. There, You can cause some problems. But I think that if we want to bring a little bit more legitimacy or a little bit raise the comfort level with Bitcoin, I think having a, the RoboCoin or an ATM that meets some of these regulatory processes for the guy on the street. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm okay like, with that. It's I okay agree. if we play within some of the rules. Yeah. Let's at least get Bitcoin yeah, out absolutely. there yeah. so people can start using yeah. it. Is Walter yeah. White going to go use the RoboCoin to funnel his billions? No, he's not because right. he knows he's going. He can't get through those barriers. Right. So he's going to go on local Bitcoins and do what and he does. Walter White got through a lot of barriers. I watched <laughs> <Yeah>. that show. <laughs> no, but you know, I guess I shouldn't have spoken so strongly against that particular Bitcoin ATM. I guess I just mean that for me personally, if I want to have Bitcoin dealings, you know, anybody can see where my wallet is and where my wallet's been and where it's going to go, you know, when I send Bitcoin or receive Bitcoin. So that's pretty much public knowledge as far as I'm concerned. I'm not hiding anything. It's just that when I go up to a machine that doesn't know me, it's just like going up to somebody that I don't know on the street and giving them all of my information. Are they going to do something nefarious with it? Not necessarily, but I'm not going to do it. I just don't want to hand it over. That's just me. Um, So uh, let me ask you this question, too. Uh, What do you see as the possibility of um, altcoin ATMs? I guess once people are into Bitcoin, that might be a next step. Who knows? Or or an ATM that allows you to trade your Bitcoins immediately for altcoins right there on the spot. Or an application maybe for your tablet or your mobile phone that makes it really easy for a quick exchange between the currencies. All right. So I've got a couple philosophies about this. And you can tell me to shut up when you get tired of hearing about this stuff. But I see – all right. So, for example, let's take credit cards, for example. And credit cards have their own problems. But let's use credit cards in this example. You've got you know some major players like Visa, Mastercard, American Express, and they each have their own um, feature set that applies to the individuals that use those cards. Fundamentally, they all work the same way. Mm-hmm. There's value to having an array of cards out there. I mean, how many of us have the credit card that you get airline miles, right? So there's a reward schedule for that particular type of card. And there's another reward schedule where you get access, you get points, and you can pick freebie stuff from your catalog that comes once a year with the points you've earned, or 1% back, all these different products that these credit cards have. I see those type of opportunities with altcoins. I think right now, and for a little while, Bitcoin's going to be the one. The counter to this is uh, what we have going on with uh, Aurora Coin. In Iceland. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell us about that. That was something you just wrote about on your blog. That's right. Megan was doing a lot of research on this, and she's doing a killer job. So this is a really great experiment. I like to think of it as an experiment. Mm. We don't really know how it's going to turn out, but it's definitely fun to watch. And you know, some of us are speculating on it, too, so it might be profitable or not. But you know, he's giving away a couple, what, three hundred dollars worth of Aurora coin to each citizen in Iceland. And Iceland, mm-hmm. if you've been to Iceland, it's a small country and the population's small, so it's a really great sample set to do this type of an experiment on. So you have a coin that's going out to a nationality. Now, what's going to happen? Are is that nation going to continue to use Aurora coin within that place? And maybe when you travel and you're going on vacation from Iceland to Slovenia, you're going to use Bitcoin or you're going to use MinCoin in Slovenia. And so, you know, regions of the world are going to start using certain right. types of coins because of certain benefits for that coin. It's like the undoing of the euro. Right. It's like, you know, when you live in San Francisco, you you root for the 49ers, right? When you live in Charlotte, you root for, well, maybe you don't. So, <laughs> you know, so that's, why? Because that's your local team. So if you live, you're born in uh, Iceland, you're going to root for and use the Aurora coin if you can get that you know, infrastructure going. You hope that they are. I still don't know 
how many people in Iceland are behind the Aurora coin or if it's just a very small group of people that is similar to the very small group of people that is the Bitcoin community worldwide. And yet maybe you have the majority of people there in Iceland who don't know about it, don't care about it, aren't interested. And even though their government has done things they should not have done that have had a negative impact on the economy, still you have, just like here, you still have the majority of people tied to the U.S. dollar and tied to just the way that things work here and not willing to step outside of that and do something different, even when something different looks really great. But, you know, we got to keep it in perspective. We're still in 1994. So, you know, we've got these new coins. So we've got this new thing, Netscape. Ooh, Internet Explorer. Ooh, Firefox. Yeah, well, you know, remembering 1994 and using those first browsers, they came along and it was so exciting to see what they could do. And then I remember the next step was how slow the page would load and all Mm. of a sudden your dial-up wasn't working and to a new level of adoption, you know. So it's like as we run into these obstacles, new technology will come in, new design will come in and start speeding it up. And then it's great again. It's like every cell phone I've ever owned starts out as the fastest new thing on the block and then it turns into a brick. I was just going to say, global smartphone cell phone adoption. It follows the same curve. And so, you know, you can use this argument. This is one of the arguments that I say when I chat chat with my mom. Like, mom, you know, do you want to get into this? Because, you know, that price is kind of low today. I'll get you half a Bitcoin and I'll (laughs) stick it in the safe for you. What the heck? (laughs) And she'll say, well, I'm not sure. Well, mom, think about it this way. Just buy half the Bitcoin. Just send me 300 bucks or whatever it is. And I'll buy it for you and forget about it. So far, based on our experience so far, that's the best investment schedule that I've seen work. Just hold. Just buy and hold and wait. So that brings up a question I wanted to ask you. When you're buying and holding in Bitcoins, uh, there's a lot of information out there about how to do that safely, where you want to get it out into a safe paper wallet somewhere within your personal possession, you know, cold storage wallets. How does that apply to altcoins? Is there the similar need for getting it off of the internet, or is that a different kind of thing? It absolutely applies. And in fact, uh, it's funny you asked that question because we have a video that shows you how to create paper wallets for those altcoins oh, on excellent. the altcoinfever.com website. That was a nice little plug, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, keep so, plugging. Keep yeah. plugging. So, but it fundamentally follows the same process. So, and I'll be really quick about it is you've got your public key and your private key, and that's where you deposit your funds. And if you want to spend that, money, you need that private key. You can import a private key into your wallet software on your computer. I use Multibit. Once you've imported it, then you can spend it. You can send it somewhere. I can send it to Coinbase. I can send it to blockchain and I can do things with it. Well, fundamentally, it works the same way with my kitty coin. So I have a kitty coin wallet and it's got uh, you know a couple hundred thousand kitty coins in it, which are worth about five cents. And I, I just create a new paper wallet for kitty coin and I send those coins to that paper wallet. I print it out or however you decide to store that data. You can print out the PDF or you can stick it in your safe or you can just save the PDF to a USB drive and stick it in your safe deposit box. And there it is. It's offline. It's safe. And when it's time to go ahead and use it again, you fire up your Kitty Coin wallet software and import that private key. There's the coin available to you and you can send it to an exchange and sell it or buy it. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Kelly and Ben. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you and um, where they can learn more about altcoins, bitcoins, and, and everything else that you can teach us about? Well, we're easy to find. The website's altcoinfever.com. I believe there's a contact button on there. You can email Megan or I directly with our email addresses, uh, Megan at altcoinfever.com and Ben at altcoinfever.com. Uh, we put out an, a few articles a week, and uh, Megan is really prolific in her writing, and I'm putting out training videos that show you how to do fun stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Bitcoins and Gravy. It's been a pleasure to meet both of you. It's great having you guys here. All right. Thank Thanks. you very much, guys. Let's go get lunch. Yeah. yeah. Tacos. Mas tacos. Mas tacos right here in East Nashville. Oh, yeah. Delicious tacos. That's oh, where yeah. we're headed. Teresa, Excellent. we're on our way. Teresa, are you accepting Bitcoin yet? <laughs> Hopefully by the time we get there. Taco coin. Today on the show, Lidge and I are very pleased to be talking with Jolie Balaz, who is coming to us from something like 10 and a half hours north of Boston. Where is that exactly? The province is New Brunswick in eastern Canada, and it's uh, just connected to the right of Maine, northeast of Boston, about 10 hours. That's still hard for me to get my brain wrapped around that there's something to the right of Maine. When I think of the right of Maine, I just think of the ocean, the wide open ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a little tiny beautiful piece of Canada sitting right there. 
Oh, nice. So, Jolie, you're doing something really important with solar coins. And can you tell us about that today? The community that I live in is uh, approximately 60 kilometers north of the capital city in New Brunswick. So I travel to work. I work in Fredericton, but I live here. I went to high school here. I graduated in 87. As I started to discover Bitcoin and recognize the transformational nature of it, I immediately saw that the kids in high school today are clearly going to be the ones who drive it into the future. And we need to make an attempt to to get them aware of this now, to get them ahead of the curve instead of lagging behind, as usually is the case with many rural communities nowadays. It's, it seems to be getting worse and worse every year. So I decided to attempt to get that done and get donations from the community to try to get them familiar. That's how it started. What would a Bitcoin scholarship look like? Well, I set up an address with a you know a separate uh, wallet strictly for that, and it's public, so I explain that, that the transactions can be seen there. I just really want to get one Bitcoin is what the ideal goal is. But that's enough to hand off to someone to be of value while still you know, addressing the the fun nature of of the future of cryptocurrency, right? So initially, it's just a very small goal of of that amount. If it if it is one Bitcoin or less, I intend to just give the entire award to the valedictorian slash governor general award winner, whoever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, if by some miracle I get more than that, I've worked out a way to just give it to the top student in each class that was offered, which I think would kind of uh, give a lot of people motivation to at least become the best in the knowledge area that they're good at. Are you going to be accepting solar coins or bitcoins for this scholarship? What are you looking for people to send your way? The solar coin one is going to be a little little bit more lax in terms of academic achievement. I, I just intend to give whatever the amount in there and just divide that equally amongst all the students who graduate because I, I think that those are another important lesson and that currency was launched in January, and we can discuss that more if you like. Yeah, please tell us more about solar coins. What are solar coins? How do they work? One solar coin is to represent one megawatt hour of energy produced through solar generation. The goal is to incentivize and increase solar power generation worldwide. The structure of the coin is also fairly interesting. It's a pre-mined coin. The developers obviously put a lot of thought and strategy into the design of the coin. And you, you can see that as you start to dig a little deeper into, into how it's structured. So as I read a lot about the idea of the coin and the structure of the coin and researched some of the people behind the team of the Solar Coin Foundation who were developing it, I fell in love. So Now, did you fall in love with it because of the concept or because you really like the idea of sunshine up there in cold Canada? <laughs> <laughs> I... I fell in love with the concept because it sort of met two of my passions, the most recent passion being the Bitcoin protocol and and everything that that represents beyond just currency. Mm -hmm. And that part of it was tied to my previous real life experience in in finance and investments and that kind of thing. So, you know, the Bitcoin and and my past sort of aligned on, on the currency economy front. But at the same time, over for a number of years, I've been just deeply concerned about the issues surrounding climate change. And up until a year ago, or even, well, no less than that, I was, you know, kind of of the opinion that there was no hope and that was just not pleasant. Uh, we really need to stop our carbon emissions and switch things around or we're going to be in, in trouble. So I have that passion as well as a side thing. So when there's a solar coin, when I read what they were attempting to do and how it really could work if it was adopted, combined with the economic side of it, you know, just the, the planets aligned and those were the main reasons why I just finally felt this was a coin that, that made perfect sense to me given my background and ideas. So as far as the solar coin incentivizing people to use solar energy, can you give us some more specifics about that? Sure. Well, a little bit more than 99% of the total coins are pre-mined, and they are parked in a safe, secure location. And those will only be given out over the next 40 years to people who can verify that they've generated solar electricity. I won't get into all the details surrounding the verification. There's there's plenty of work going on in that front right now. But the idea is that those will, over those years, start to be 
given out to these people who produce solar power. Now, tie into that a value of a currency and, you know, the backing of a unit such as this providing more stability to value, it will also incentivize people to just do it more and more and more. The idea being that solar energy becomes the predominant um, method of creating energy for the planet and minimizing the use of oil and gas naturally as a result, at which point it ties into production in the future too. You know, because as we start to increase our renewable energy resources and they get larger and larger, there's an economy tied to that. We have increased production in technology. The costs of solar will continue to go down. Um, and it just sort of has a compounding Moore's law effect to it in terms of technology generation over the next even just 10 or 15 years. That's so cool. So so the concept mm-hmm. is essentially that the coins, the solar coins, have been pre-mined so that there's sort of a pool that are created. And then they they are sort of secondarily mined over the next 40 years by people producing, uh, what did you say, was one megawatt hour of, of solar energy equals one solar coin? Exactly. And that, that equivalency stays consistent throughout the life of the coin. So that's an important point to remember. Um, I find a lot of people when I discuss Bitcoin... They say, well, what is that backed by? And I think, you know, today even people think that money is backed by gold and it hasn't been for 40 years. Um, People just feel comfortable with the idea that currency is backed by something. And in this particular case, well, guess what it is? It's backed by a megawatt hour of solar energy produced. So from a marketing standpoint, it's a lot easier to explain to people when they kind of get that light bulb moment there. Now, so what does that mean for the, uh, the, the anticipated value of SolarCoin? Does it start out being worth some, uh, a particular amount now where one megawatt energy of solar power is worth something that might be worth more or less in the future? There is a target value for the coin that they've identified to be 20 to $30 per solar coin. Now, this is just my opinion just from researching it, but I think it's important to discuss the small element of the public mining because that does come into play, I think, to the value of the coin five years out. Mm -hmm. So if you'll permit me, I'd like to just touch on that a little bit. Sure. So there's only going to be 0.1% of all of the coins that are publicly mined. So that amounts to 105 million coins. But the structure of the mining deteriorates quite rapidly. By year five, I think I read that 95% of the publicly mined coins will be done. So you've got the public mining, which is a very, very small portion of the total pool, being accelerated in those first few years. And that will, I think, initiate a value that can be sustained during that period until the generation pool begins to catch up and overtake the release of coins from the mining side. So, I mean, you, you want to see this, this natural decrease of one while the other one catches up and, and grows larger. Oh, very interesting. That in and of itself. So when the mining is done and the, the generation pool takes over, you've got this stability that while it will be initially volatile, I think in the first uh, one or two years for sure, it's built into the structure of the coin to promote stability over time which is a really important thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. As far as the usefulness of the solar coin, are people imagining that it's going to be valued solely on solely, so, solarly oh. on, the, uh, on trading on Cripsy and, and in different exchanges, or that it's going to be useful as a medium of exchange in the solar industry so that you could perhaps buy solar panels using solar coin one day? Right. Certainly both. Mm, nice. I mean, my first brief thoughts when I, when I initially started to look into it was... Uh, well, could I use these things to pay my $200 power bill every month? Because that would be just fantastic. The idea is there that it will be potentially used for transactions. And I could see solar installation type companies accepting it. Uh, You know, it's got to achieve that value first. And I think that's really where the, the cryptocurrency side of it comes into play in the initial year or two with, you know, the cripsy and the hype and all of that. We've got to get up to a value that can then become stable from then on. So we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, it's just a matter of time to see who will come out the winners and or not. And just so our listeners know, you have a background in finance, right? I do. Yes, I do. So I'd like to think that you know what you're talking about when it comes to money and finance. <laughs> well, what is your background in finance? Um, well, I've I did uh, I have my MBA in finance, but I worked at a, at a pension fund for a number of years and. I also am a CFA charter holder. Chartered Financial Analyst is what it stands for, and it's a 
it's a fairly important designation to have if you're in uh, investment banking or institutional investment management. Well, mm-hmm. impressive. From your perspective, have you ever seen anything as exciting as all these um, cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin and alt currencies in the world of finance? Never. I, I think it's just transformational. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So what do you think about the idea that if Bitcoin doesn't do well uh, because of federal regulations or the Internal Revenue Service or the equivalent in other countries, that's not the end of digital currencies, right? It most certainly isn't. I think there is a power ingrained in, in the idea that even we haven't quite recognized that potential yet and, and we're involved in it and true believers, right? It's just going to overwhelm us. I really believe that. I'm overwhelmed daily by Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. I feel like I've had an awakening over the past few months, and it's just so much better than being feeling hopeless and just waiting for an apocalypse. This This is a much better way to be. I completely agree. Um, Well, Jolie, it has been our great pleasure to talk with you and to hear what you have to say about the scholarship. And maybe you could tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, and most importantly, how they can donate Bitcoin or SolarCoin. Or I guess at this point you would accept any digital currency uh, that could go into the pool. No, I really would only accept Bitcoin or SolarCoin at this point. Not because I don't like any of the other ones. (laughs) I just don't want the logistical hassle when it comes time for June when I have to present them. So transferring barbecue coins into <laughs> wizard <laughs> no, coins I, and back I just to philosopher's don't do stone. That. Okay, I don't. I don't blame <laughs> you. <laughs> um, the best way to get a hold of me would be actually through the uh, the Facebook group page for. It's called the CNBA Bitcoin Scholarship Fund. Just go there, like the page, and the addresses for each of the scholarship are right there. And I would I would love some donations. I'd like to get the Bitcoin one up to one Bitcoin before June. So any help will be much much appreciated. Okay, and that's CNBA, that's Charlie, Nancy, Beta, Alpha? Exactly. Central New Brunswick Academy is what it stands for. Oh, okay. Excellent. And for our listeners, we'll have those notes in our show notes uh, at bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode nine. So you can look for these links there. Hey, Jolie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Lidge and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, Jolie. You. And, and thank you from all the students that are going to be receiving these scholarships as well. I'm sure they're going to really appreciate it. I think they will someday for sure. So, Jolie, do you have any final words for our listeners about the scholarship and about solar coins? There was one thing I forgot to mention, which I think is kind of neat. Okay. There's the idea on our solar coin forum right now that the smallest unit of a solar coin should be labeled the photon. Oh, excellent. Oh. I like the idea. Now, would that be a particle or a wave? I don't know. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> we'll have to ask uh, the Big Bang Theory that one. So photon. So photon is is to solar coins as Satoshi is to Bitcoin. Is that right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Photons. I love it. <laughs> I do too. Oh, and something I, I really wanted to mention to you guys and to the viewers is that there's an, a paper that was published by a couple of the people behind Solar Coin, uh, Nick Gogarty and Joseph Zatoli. It's called Deco and Electricity Backed Currency Proposal. And they published that paper in 2011, and it really does a wonderful job of explaining the role of currency and how the the role of backing a currency with something like a megawatt hour of electricity uh, really lends to the production and utility value of the currency growing with GDP over time. So to clarify what I mean, I'll just read directly from the article itself. Okay, great. Uh, Electricity-delivering assets can hold their economic value more effectively than gold or debt due to price stability and resistance to devaluation from overissuance. The currency concept advocates a portfolio of diversified electricity-delivering assets that offers more social benefits than gold and retains monetary value better than government debt. And that's kind of bringing the two things together uh, into one currency that's really designed with the future in mind. The design that they put in place is clearly structured so that there is stability to that price. And and again, reading that paper that they issued will help anyone get a better understanding of what I'm trying to explain here. Another really important thing that I, I forgot to mention, and I will now because I think it's it's part of the future again, mm-hmm. um, is the, the generation pool that houses the 99.4% of the coins that are going to be distributed out to validated solar generators there is a potential that that pool 
could be housed on something similar to Ethereum. So you could have, you know, the currency transaction side of SolarCoin on the Bitcoin protocol doing what it's meant to do with the public ledger. Then you could also have its sister component on the generation side that becomes a decentralized uh, validating mechanism for the issuance of the coins. You marry those two together, and uh, it's that's a beautiful thing. It's official. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Jolie. Thank you. like to thank our wonderful guests on today's show, Laura Saggers, Benjamin Wilson, Kelly Koppel, and Jolie Balaz. We would also like to give a special thank you to one of our sponsors on the show, Mike Tech, the Nashville company that provides our microphones. We have been using the fabulous PM9 microphones for our podcasts since day one and owe our award-winning sound to Mike Tech. So thank you, Mike Tech. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode nine. Thanks so much for listening. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. Hey, Ledge, let's also give a special thanks to our friends in Southern California listening in on station KCAA, 1050 AM. Tune in Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific time to hear new episodes of Bitcoins and Gravy. And make sure to catch more great shows from the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network airing all week right here on KCAA. KCAA 1050 AM or download all the podcasts from letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from iTunes. Listeners can find our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com as well as our tipping addresses there. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments or questions. If you give us permission, we'll put you on the show. So call anytime, 615-208-5198. That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline, 615-208-5198. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Tell us what you like or where we can improve. And remember, it's your reviews that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And it's your generous tips that allow us to create the shows. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.